Dear congregation, I invite you to turn in God's holy word to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll begin reading at verse 19. And we'll read through verse 25. And then we will go to Hebrews 12 and begin reading at 18 and go through the end of the chapter. I'll explain the reasoning for doing so um, immediately after uh, reading uh, this passage to try to bring this all together as we come to the end of this unit in Hebrews chapter 12. It really has begun for us in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10. After showing in Hebrews chapter 10 how Christ's death really perfects those who are sanctified and, and his, by His Spirit we are cleansed. And that indeed, that covenant that He makes with us in, in these days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more because of the remission, the forgiveness of sin. And so we are called then to see Jesus, and uh, we find that especially set before us in Hebrews 10, verse 19, all the way through the end of chapter 12. Let's hear God's Word, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And then turn with me to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 18. And following right on the heels of what it means to draw near to God in faith, he says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow." And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, and to spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. 
For if they did not escape who refused Him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from Him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now He has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, and the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. As we see this, that connection, if you just leave your Bibles open for a moment, between Hebrews 10, let us draw near with full assurance of faith, Notice that in in verse 22. We are called to draw near with that true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then he applies that to our assembling together in our way of confession and, and worship and fellowship. And then at the end of chapter 10, which we didn't read, He goes on to say in verse 39, But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who draw near or believe to the saving of the soul. And so what is that faith and that drawing near? He says set that before us in way of definition and in way of illustrations throughout Hebrews chapter 11 as he illustrates it through the cloud of witnesses that have been set before us in the Old Testament. And then he calls us, and the Hebrews in chapter 12, to run that race that is set before us. That race that includes looking to Jesus by faith. And in that race, he exercises us. God exercises us with his discipline and training all in order that we would be strengthened in our pursuit of godliness, holiness, and peace with all people. And then we come to our text. And our text really comes full circle and gives us the very reason that He calls us to draw near. That reason is set before us in verse 18. For you have not come And remember what came right before that exhortation in Hebrews 10 was the Old Covenant. And he says, you have not come to the Old Covenant on Mount Sinai. You have come, in other words, in verse 22, to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. And so, in our text for today, morning and afternoon, we will look at um, this this really this reasoning that that he's coming full circle to and we are called to draw near to god just like we are just like wilderness just like abraham being called out of ur of the chaldees as a witness of faith so we also are called out of this world as a church of the lord jesus christ to worship god in the beauty of his holiness And there's an already but not yet aspect to this 
worship of God. And we can't understand that worship of God unless we understand the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that especially providentially set before us in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 21, which we have come to in the Heidelberg Catechism. So I'd like to also acknowledge what we confess in way of uh, the Holy Catholic Church or the universal church of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion or the fellowship of saints and the forgiveness of sins. So let's read together Lord's Day 21. Question answer 54. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic or Universal Church of Christ? Answer, that the Son of God, from the beginning to the end of the world, gathers, defends, and preserves to Himself by His Spirit and Word, out of the whole human race, a church chosen to everlasting life, agreeing in true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. Question 55. What do you understand by the communion of saints? Answer, first, that all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of Him and of all His riches and gifts. Secondly, that everyone must know it to be his duty readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. And question 56. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? Answer, that God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, neither my corrupt nature, against which I have to struggle all my life long, but will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God. As far Lord's Day 21. Our theme this morning will be Faith Draws Near in Worship. First of all, we'll see that faith draws near in worship to the city of God. Secondly, in the communion of saints. And thirdly, through Jesus and His blood. Faith draws near in worship to the city of God. Our text in Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, but you who believe, and have drawn near to God. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so therefore, faith draws near in worship to the city of God. And what the author of Hebrews is doing here is he's setting this contrast between the city of the living God to Mount Sinai. And really, he's setting the contrast between two mountains, Mount Zion and Mount Sinai. And in this contrast, we recognize that both Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, or Jerusalem, are places where God was pleased to dwell. They were places where God was pleased to dwell 
And so as faith draws near to Mount Zion, he's saying faith isn't drawing near necessarily to Mount Sinai. As a matter of fact, he says that very clearly. For you have not come to the mountain, Mount Sinai, that could be touched. You have not come to things that are tangible like a mountain. And it could be touched. But when God's presence was on Mount Sinai, that mountain could not be touched. Because it became holy. And so therefore, when God was giving His law on Mount Sinai, and there was all the thunderings and all of the lightness, lightnings and the trumpet sound, and, and God's glory descended upon Mount Sinai, Moses was commanded to tell the people, do not touch the mountain or you will die. And even if your livestock touches the mountain, it needed to be shot with an arrow and killed. So holy was the presence of God as He dwelt on Mount Sinai. He is a consuming fire. But the author to Hebrews says to these Jews who, who treasured Sinai and treasured the law of God, and rightfully so, rightfully so, so ought we. But that's not where we find our salvation. And so therefore, he says, you have not come to this mountain. Today, by faith, you can draw near to God. And in drawing near to God, you come to the city of the living God. You come to a different mountain. You come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion was Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, we also recognize that God dwelt in Jerusalem with His people. And there He was pleased to have a small portion of real estate where He really dwelt with His people in Jerusalem, in the Holy of Holies. And there also, though He dwelt in Jerusalem, in Mount Zion, who could come into the Holy of Holies? But once a year, the high priest could go into that ten by ten cubic place of real estate where God was pleased to dwell with a sacrifice and had to back out. Because of the holiness of God. And there in the Holy of Holies, He could come in and offer that blood on the mercy seat, testifying of God's mercy that would come in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to these Hebrew Christians, but now you have come to Mount Zion. Not only the priests, but you, believers, have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God. You have come to God's dwelling place with His people. You have come to God's place of judgment. You have come in worship to Mount Zion. And the difference between Sinai is you couldn't come there without dying, but in the city of the living God, you can come through faith by the grace of God to the judge of all because there is a finished sacrifice through His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want you to notice here from Mount Zion 
Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, that God remains the same. God did not change. He's still a consuming fire. So what has changed? What has changed? What has changed is this, is now a sinner can come and draw near to God by grace. And what's changed is that is really everything has changed because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can enter into the presence of God, into the city of God, and be a part of the city of God, and dwell with God in His city because of what Christ has done. And no wonder then our catechism highlights the fact that it's Christ who gathers and, and, and defends and preserves His church. It is because of what He has done. And it's because of what He is doing by His Spirit and through His Word. That dead sinners become alive. That sinners become saints. And that the unholy become holy. And now are dwelling in the city of God. In Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to Mount Zion. There's an aspect to this that for every single believer, they have already come. You are already a member, a citizen of that celestial city, of the city of the living God. Every single believer. And yet there's this aspect that is not yet fully realized in that we are already come perfectly there. But here as we gather in worship, as the children of God, citizens of heaven. And we dwell in worship together this morning. God is pleased to be with us. And He's pleased to give us a taste, as it were, of the city of the living God. That's what worship is. as He calls out His people from the world to gather together and assemble together, He gives them a foretaste of the reality that they are already in the city of the living God. You have already come. And maybe you don't see it all this morning in worship. But as you come into the city of the living God, he says you're surrounded by angels. Surrounded by witnesses. Surrounded by his people. And yes, you see some of his people. But what we recognize is as we come to the city of the living God, that faith draws near in worship in the communion of saints. Which is our second point. Faith draws near in worship 
in the communion of saints or the fellowship of the holy ones. And who were those first holy ones? Well, our text actually reveals that to us. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. The city of God is filled with countless angels shining and reflecting the glory of God as they go about their work in the city of the living God, serving the people of God. That's, that's a summary of a biblical doctrine of, of the purpose of angels. As we find in Hebrews 1, verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation? That's their role. Their role is to lead us in worship. I think of all of the Old Testament. There were angels present at Mount Sinai. You could even go back to the garden. There were angels even protecting the way to the tree of life. And, and angels present at Mount Sinai. And angels described and placed in, in places throughout the temple. Psalm, Psalm 68, verse 17 is just one example. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 highlights it even in New Testament language that we ought to exercise the principle of headship in our worship because of the presence of angels. We are gathered in worship this morning. And we don't see everything with our spiritual understanding. But the reality doesn't change. How many of us are here in worship this morning? We could start counting and just giving an approximate figure. Knowing the capacity of our church, it would probably be 350, 400, something like that. Really? It's not 350 or 400. It's an innumerable host company of angels. If there were be three people here, I would be just as intimidated to bring God's Word to you today. Because that would still mean that there's the same amount of people in worship or where two or three are gathered in His name. He is there. The city of the living God is here with us in worship. The angelic hosts are with us in worship. Ministering saints that we can't see are with us in worship. He goes on. Not only innumerable company of angels, but he says, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. 
to that cloud of witnesses, yes, in the Old Testament, that cloud of witnesses from, from the time that Hebrews was written till today, and, and the, the witnesses even among us sitting here present are in the city of the living God. All who are registered from the beginning of time until this very moment. Those who are in the eternal, universal, that holy Catholic church of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the communion of saints. The fellowship of them. To those Spirits of just men, women, boys, and girls who have been made perfect. This God, who's the judge of all, is in this city. And He declares that all who are in this city have been registered in this city and all who are in this city are perfect. You see, when we run the race, and we are running looking to Jesus, and when we are exhorting one another, and when we're correcting one another, when we're pursuing godliness and holiness and peace with all, when we're sharing the Gospel, when we're striving for per perfection in Zion, in the city of the living God, then God comes as judge of all. And He declares that these are the spirits of those, the souls of those who are made righteous and perfect. He testifies of it through Abel and His worship which condemned Cain. He testifies it, of it through Noah and His preaching of righteousness which condemned the world. This God in Mount Zion, in the city of the living God, brings all of His people together under one umbrella as those who are registered in heaven and of those who are the souls of righteous people made perfect. How can we ever say that? How can we say that we have been made perfect? There is none who are perfect, no, not one, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we draw near to God in the city of the living God, <clears throat> we recognize that we have been made perfect not through our own righteousness, but through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we encourage one another with these truths. We encourage one another with, the, with, the, with all of what the witnesses tell us and teach us throughout history. And when we gather in worship, God is here. His angels are here. 
and in the city of the living God, even though we can't see it. And I'm not saying the saints that are in glory can see us necessarily. I'm not saying that neither. But we are unified in worship to the living God. And as we do so, we come as close to heaven, to taste heaven as there possibly can be on earth. That's worship. And so what happens in worship isn't just what what meets our eyes. If God would but cause us to see what happens in worship, we would be like Elisha and his servant in in Dotham. And he says, his servant says, also those Assyrians are going to come and take us and they're going to capture us. And, And Elisha says to his servant, there's way more who are with us than against us. And his servant says to him, How can that be? It's just two of us here. And God opens His eyes and there He sees the hosts of angels, the chariots of fire. Indeed, there was more with Him than against Him. And so also, worship is a supernatural event. Have you ever thought of our worship being a supernatural event? As we assemble in worship and lift up our praise to God who is present with us, having His angelic host with us, as we draw near to the city of the living God, that indeed is a supernatural event. It's a heavenly event. It's a spiritual event. And I think sometimes we, we, we get it all wrong. Because we don't understand who God is. We, we forget that God is, is the one who is so big that a whole earth and all of the heavens and all of His creation cannot even contain Him. He is so holy that not one person who ever committed one sin, even the slightest of sins, could ever approach to Him. This same God came on Mount Sinai. And the people drew back. says, Moses, you go talk with God because we can't. That was the God of the Old Covenant. But he says, you haven't come to that God in worship. You have come to the city of the living God who has given His Son who dwells with you, who is pleased to dwell with you. And you have come to Him, who, yes, is so big that the heavens and the earth cannot contain Him, but comes so close that He's present with us in worship. If you want theological terms, you have come to a God who is transcendent and yet 
completely imminent. So big and yet so close. And it's to this God we come in worship. It's to this God where He transports us into the heavenly that we might see spiritual things. As His Spirit dwells with us and in us, as He unites us to the Lord Jesus Christ and makes us partakers of everything that there is in Him, all of His riches, all of His benefits. It's this God whom we worship. You see, as one person wrote, this scriptural understanding of worship ought to heighten our appreciation for the privilege and joy of worship. Who would want to miss out on one worship service? One glorious exchange with the presence of God. What saying Christian would want to stay away when there's an opportunity to sit under the same roof as angels. Should we not take worship seriously? Dr. Sproul at... uh, his minister in, of course, Ligonier, most people know, but he's also a minister in, in um, St. Andrew's Chapel in Florida. And on their bulletin were these words. In worship, we cross the threshold of the secular to the sacred. From the common to the uncommon. And from the profane to the to the holy. When your pastor gives a salutation in worship, God is greeting you. And you have just taken a step from what is profane to what is holy. You have just taken a step from what is common to what is uncommon. And you have just taken a step from what is secular to what is sacred. Never forget that in worship because we come to the city of the living God. Have you ever considered those who have gone before us? As you walk through the cemetery and you come to a gravesite of a loved one, my family was just, uh, my wife and I and daughter were just in Iowa and we visited many of people who were in the gravesite. We, parents, grandparents, friends, cousins, and so on. And you come to that gravesite. 
And you're about as close as you can be to the earthly remains. Right? There you stand. You think that their bodies are turning to dust. But you see, when we come and worship, we come to the souls of just people made perfect. There is not a closer place you'll ever be to a loved one who died in the Lord as when you're in worship. There was someone who lost his wife. Sunday afternoon. There was an evening service in his church. And he went to church immediately after his wife passed away. And people were asking him, why, why are you here? That you have to be surrounded by your loved ones, being comforted by one another. He says, I didn't know a better place to go into the worship service because there is the closest place I can be to my wife who is just beyond my sight praising God in worship. I believe and holy Catholic Church communion of saints and because of that I need to take worship absolutely serious a couple of weeks ago as a consistory we made an acknowledgement and a confession of our shortcomings of our failures. And I hope it was portrayed that it was sincere and that it was serious. And some people may have had this thought in your mind with something so sincere and so serious. What did the consistory really do? was so bad. The worship of God, the communion of his saints, the unity of his saints is so important that if we have neglected in any way, we have committed a serious offense. Think about Nadab and Abihu who offered strange offerings to God and fire fell down from heaven and consumed them. Then what do we deserve as a people? As leaders in his church. 
if we have in one way or another diminished the importance of God's worship, of what it means to be in the city of the living God, if in one way or another I didn't preach with clarity, if in one way or another the sacraments were profaned, the holy was profaned, then we had to take that seriously. Because God hasn't changed. And yet, and yet, I can stand here and bring you God's word this morning. Not in my own strength, but because of the only mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there in the city of God, central in the city of God, is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We come to the city of God, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We come because faith draws near in worship through Jesus and his blood. We come to a mediator who is better than Moses, who stood before Mount Sinai and ascended Mount Sinai in the cloud and in the thick darkness where God was. We come to Jesus, who ascended Mount Sinai and perfectly obeyed the law of God, and who ascended Mount Golgotha. And there on the cross, he suffered and he died for sinners such as you and like me. And as his blood drips to the ground from the cross, that blood speaks of greater things than that of Abel. Hebrews 11. We know that Abel made a sacrifice. And Abel's sacrifice included blood. And yet it couldn't save Abel from any of his sins. It couldn't save Abel from death itself at the hands of his brother. But there, this blood of sprinkling, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only mediator, speaks more volumes than all of the gallons and the rivers of blood that flowed from the temple. His blood is for the remission of our sins. Isn't that what we find also when we confess? What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins that God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no longer remember my sins, neither my corrupt nature, against which I struggle all my life long, but graciously imputes to me the righteousness of Christ that I may never be condemned before God?
so we can come and worship with a pure heart, with a pure conscience, rid of guilt, to come and worship through the Lord Jesus Christ who has despised the shame and is now set down at the right hand of God that we would no longer have shame and guilt, but have perfect righteousness. That's how we come and worship. That's why we can draw near to God in worship. How have you come in worship this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we stand before you, a holy God, a God who is a consuming fire, and yet a God who condescends to dwell with us, to be with us even in worship. Lord, our, our physical eyes can't comprehend it and see it, and Lord, we pray that we would hear your word, that we would know that this place we stand on is holy ground. And so, Lord, be pleased. Be pleased to give us an appreciation holy reverence and joy in worship. Give us a longing to be in your house, to worship you, with your people. It's a universal church, along with an innumerable number of angels. God, have mercy upon us when we take your worship lightly and we allow the sacred to become the secular and the holy to become the profane and the common and the uncommon to be the common. Forgive us and wash us in that blood that speaks better things and that of all our sacrifices, for Jesus' sake. Amen.